Hey everybody, welcome to the Lex G Podcast. Hey, how you doing today? How's it going today? Doing a little little Atkins, just a little bit of Tom Atkins there. And um what I mean by that, I'm giving you a little little Pittsburgh glad hand, a little little spit shine. You gotta lay on a little snake oil, you know, when you do these things. Um <laughs> Tom Atkins is one of my favorite actors. He's a legend to me from Pittsburgh. You might know him from Night of the Creeps, The Fog, Escape from New York, Halloween 3, The Ninth Configuration, Lethal Weapon. I loved Tom Atkins uh, when I was growing You know, he just, not even just because he was from Pittsburgh, but just his regular, like he'd have the stash and he'd, <laughs> he'd be wearing like a members only with like a, with some snot rag hanging out of the back pocket of his corduroys. And he was, a, you know, he's driving around in a truck in the fog, pounding Budweiser and then picks up Jamie Lee Curtis and he's like 45 in that and she's 19. But she doesn't, you know, that's the power of Atkins, man. But in, uh, he has a very Pittsburgh way about him in the best way. But in Halloween three, I love this where, you know, he and Stacy Nelkin are on the case of the silver shamrock masks, which if you know the plot of Halloween three, uh, an evil Celtic warlock played by Dan O'Hurley has in, uh, somehow put pieces of Stonehenge in the microchips of three uh, glorious Halloween masks for his brand silver shamrock. Every kid in America is obsessed with having one of these three incredible mundane masks as either a pumpkin a witch or a skeleton a skull and the, the the pieces of stonehenge will activate by his commercial with this insidious jingle and the commercial will make uh the masks activate via lasers and snakes bugs and other assortment of creatures will come out of kids like their head will split open or something as bugs and it's a it's a trick on the children because he's like a celtic prankster in a way um <laughs> Earlier in the movie, Atkins and uh, Stacey Nelkin have to go up to Sint, the mythical fictional town of uh, Santa Mira, where Silver Shamrock novelty masks. You know, he invented sticky toilet paper. <laughs> There's this guy who's way too into the lore of Connell Cochran, who's Buddy Kupfer. He's uh, Atkins' uh, buddy uh, on this, uh, what do you call it, a tour of the facilities. Oh Hurley, Dan O'Hurley is Colin Cochran, gives him a tour of the facilities. And he's like he's like the dead dwarf gag, sticky toilet paper. <laughs> it's it is the best single best movie, I think, in the history of the world. It should every time they have those national film registry or, you know, the sight and sound poll or whatever, it should just be Halloween three season of the witch. They don't even need any other movies. But Atkins is going to do a little undercover work. So he goes up to Northern California with Stacy Nelkin. And by the way, he's married. Uh, he's got kind of an ex, maybe. Atkins is on the outs with Nancy Keys. He brings the kids across America. You see, they all want these masks. And he comes home drunk. <laughs> he's like hammered. And he's supposed to be a doctor, but he's wasted on the job. But he stops at home in the rain. He's wearing like a members only and whips out this cheap, wet paper bag. And in it are three different novelty no 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 he's giving these cheap masks to his kids you know his is like he probably probably picked them up at the liquor store ah, something for the kids they're two like corny plastic early 80s masks and the kids are like uh mom already got us masks and he goes what's the matter don't you like them <laughs> 
He's like, in a little while he was dead, and I don't know what the hell's going on. There's so many great, uh, he looked like a businessman. There's so many incredible Atkins line deliveries in this. But um, when he goes on, the, see, he's smooth. He's big city Dr. Dan Chalice, you know, getting the, getting the ladies and everything. But when he goes undercover up to Santa Mira, he has to uh, affect a, a more genial, glad-handing persona, you know, to delight, a little something to delight the rubes, maybe, so that he and Nell can pull up in their car to this motel and a kindly motel owner played by uh, Michael Curry, who's in from some of the Dirty Harry movies, and he comes out and he's like, oh, hey, how you doing there? And Atkins lays on the charm, he's like, say there, partner, you know, we get a place to stay for the night? He's just total, like a little snake oil, a little glad hand, a little spit shine, and I love, make a long story short, because this isn't going to be about Halloween 3, um, I love doing that, like when I go to the DMV, when I go to, uh, you know, return something, or a clerk, and I know that they're a little testy, I can tell, they're not going to enjoy my presence because I don't have a naturally inviting look per se but I you gotta lay like one time I had this my plane got delayed I was stuck in Phoenix and I really needed to get home that night and I just went I gave him a little hey there partner hey say how's it going hey how you doing and I love doing that I love doing it hey how you doing when I my neighbors they see me come in the hallway and they you know nobody's friendly you know and Unless you can do something for somebody in Los Angeles. Generally, it's not Mayberry where everyone's like, hey, all right, hee hee, woo. Generally, people will, you know, I thought coming to Los Angeles, every dude would look like John Tesh or Tim Thomerson or something, like a blonde guy in a Hawaiian shirt, maybe like Bill Pullman and Ruthless People. Then you get here and every dude is like some tan dude in a ball cap with a six-day beard. And you don't know, no matter what ethnicity they are, like sometimes they're white, sometimes they're Armenian, sometimes they're Latino, uh, sometimes they're Filipino or Asian. They all have that, you know, sunglasses. I hate sunglasses. They scare me. Like I so like Biden yesterday whipped out these shades and I was so menaced by them. I find them bully behavior. Anyone who wears sunglasses is imposing and terrifying to me. And they'll always have like that beard, but it's like a uh, metrosexually manicured kind of beard. I don't think manicured fits there, but, uh, and uh, they always have like a hat, like a tight hat and they always look like a dick. And you try to, you try to give them, I try to give them, Hey, how's it going? Hey there, partner. Hey, ho, Hey. And whoosh, they just walk right by it. Or they give you like a, Hey, Hey, you know, all right. Never excited. No enthusiasm. What I try to do is I try to bring a little, a little joy and the, the funny thing is, I'm a recluse. I'm not a social person. I have huge social anxiety. So if they were really like, hey, because I've had guys occasionally, and I even do, there's a couple of neighbors who will stop. And then then I'm like, shit, now i got to talk to you for 10 minutes. I don't want to talk to you. I don't, uh, it, you know, I'm not a unfriendly person or I don't dislike them. It's just usually I'm on my way or I, I just, I'm working or I, I don't want to, the, the big fear with neighbors is if you get to know your neighbors, then maybe they'll come around for the old proverbial cup of sugar, do the Kramer. Just, and it's like when you're in your home, the big thing for me in life I've found in my adult life is like, I don't want anyone ever knocking on my door. I don't want anyone ever dropping by. Cause you know, when you're home, you're blasting off farts. I'm usually not wearing a shirt. I usually smell. I have a skid or something. I'm selling myself, but it's like, I'm not ready for company. There's 75 Miller light cans around the place. Don't come. Don't surprise. You got to give me like four weeks notice. If you're dropping by, I don't know what any of that was about. 
Um, just saying, you know, just saying, just give me a little insight into how my brain works. I'm not in the best mood today. This is a bozo mode podcast, meaning it's all over the map. What I really was going to talk about after this long story short about Halloween three and my neighbors and sun, oh, fucking sunglasses. I hate it. Don't wear sunglasses. It's so intimidating. Nobody like to me, it's like, oh, you have to be cool. If you wear sunglasses, you're a bully. You're a nerd. You're probably you're probably a racist. <laughs> Just go all out, man. You're probably a hate criminal. If you wear sunglasses are terrifying. Anyone who wears sunglasses is someone who can automatically get laid like as a as a doughy uncool guy who never really got girls per se and, you know, had to use my personality and my, you know, charm or sunglasses to me no you gotta be skinny and shape you gotta be a bully you gotta be the kind of guy who goes hiking in the canyons i'm going hiking in the canyons with my shades and you call your girlfriend babe one of those <sighs> last night two nights ago i watched the motion picture school ties brendan fraser 1992 i'd never seen this generally all these youth movies of that era i mean that's my heyday this is one i just never saw and over the years i've come to know obviously brendan fraser became a big star uh, is it fraser or fraser it's fraser right there's no i but it's so i stumble every time i have to say brendan fraser fraser is brendan fraser Chris O'Donnell is in it. Oh, Chris O'Donnell, at some point in this movie, he like pieces out for 30 minutes of it. It's like, what, wasn't Chris O'Donnell the roommate? And he's just gone. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and my buddy, my imaginary friend, Cole Hauser, the most intimidating human being of all time. And uh, Anthony Rapp's in there. And these two other dudes who, they're, uh, what's that guy's name? Like something, uh, Martin, something, a uh, cough, something. God, I'm so prepared for this podcast. They did not, I, I got to figure the two guys on the periphery who did not become Matt, Ben, uh, Chris, Brendan, those guys just stew. They're just somewhere like they have a ranch in fucking Montana and haven't had a credit since 2008. And they're like, you know, I was in that movie too. <laughs> I had a bigger part than Affleck. Um, I, but I finally watched this and I enjoyed it so much. And it's not great. It's not even really that good. It's just, there's something about the movie making of that era even when I didn't see them in the heyday of when they came out, this is a weird thing. I might've talked about this before. There's something relaxing about the pacing of movies back then. There's something when you watch, this is, will be, uh, you know, a very unfamiliar concept to proper film Twitter where they always say, you know, they hate relatability and they want you to watch, you know, you should be ensconced in this eight hour Romanian movie about birth control or something. To me, I like seeing the stars. I'm a big, dumb American rube. And you show me some buddies that I like to pretend that are, <laughs> that I know like Matt and Ben. I'm like, Oh, it's Matt and Ben, my buddies. I don't, I don't like when I watch foreign movies that I don't know who anybody is. I like knowing who they, I like knowing the comfort, you know, and, and that's not an unreasonable thing. I re remember for years and decades, it was like, we liked watching John Wayne or Clint Eastwood or Tom Cruise or Julia Roberts, you knew what you were getting. You knew the, and not just the stars, the peripheral people, whether it was like, you know, Edward G. Robinson or, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Adolf Manju or something. Donald Pleasance, Herbert Lom, whatever crazy character actor. I don't know. Uh, Sidney Greenstreet is who, who I was going to say. They served a purpose. They, they were a shorthand that helped you 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 could fall into the narrative and the plotting better when you kind of someone is a character or a persona character actors or persona. And there was a, a relatability and a comfort to that. And when I watched these movies, 
there's something about the fact that doesn't make, make the movie inherently better. No, I'm saying in terms of my boredom level, which is really all I'm on about. I was so like, I'm not bored as long as I see some guys. I feel like, I mean, I don't know them from Adam, but we know what their deal is. I don't know. It's relaxing to see stars. I, you know, I have a buddy, a couple of buddies who we, we like to on Twitter joke about watching those terrible Willis and Cusack and Thomas Jane and um, Jason Patrick and uh, Travolta and cage being in those uh, atrocious DTV movies but there's something about them that goes by. So just like, yes, Clint, uh, what's his name? Bruce is phoning this in. Yes, Travolta's acting weird and Nicolas Cage is doing these flights of fancy, you know, on the chance that anybody ever watches this. That It's still just something about the old school charm, the old school movie star magic. You know, even not even the biggest star, like Jonathan Sheck is in half of those things. That was never a star, but you see him and you're like, oh, it's Jonathan Sheck, my old buddy, you know, for that thing you do. There's something comfortable about them being from a time in your life where you knew what everything was and who everyone was. And watching School Ties 30 years later, it was very interesting. It's a movie about Brendan Fraser. Fraser has gotten this uh, free ride just to go his senior year of, uh, to this prep school. And he's a Jewish kid from kind of a uh, working class town. Ed Lauder is his dad. And we're introduced to him. He's having a rumble. He's a very popular guy. Obviously, he's a great looking guy. But, uh, you know, in his town, he's like a tough guy, but with a heart of gold. And, you know, he's a smart kid and a, and a star quarterback there. And they get in this big rumble over some uh, a rival gang being um, anti-Semitic. And there's some squabble over a girl. But we see that he's like salt of the earth. He's ready to throw down for his buddies. He's a good, solid dude. Uh, but he's Jewish and he's going to this, uh, you know, pr- uh, waspy prep school. And when he gets there, he sort of immediately realizes he's kind of he kind of has to hide his identity, hide a star of David and kind of, you know, there's a little little the kids, the guys around him aren't aren't like full on hate criminals or everything. But everyone's very insensitive and making little cracks. And uh, these things progress to obviously much worse and hate, you know, hateful speech and anti-Semitism. But in the beginning, he's just trying to go along, you know, get along to go along or whatever the expression is. But his new pals are that roll call of our, uh, you know, future movie star buddies and Chris O'Donnell's his roommate. And then Matt Damon is sort of his becomes his buddy, but he's sort of in danger. You know, he's going to piss Matt Damon off. And Matt Damon is like a rich prick and who's going to be kind of kind of uh, prejudiced as this goes on. But, uh, you know, because he's taking Damon's quarterback slot and Damon's relegated to cornerback. I'm sure this is riveting to hear the plot points and even worse. And this is a violation of, of man code. But uh, Brendan Fraser gets the big eye for uh, Amy Locaine. This is her heyday before she went off the rails or whatever from, uh, you know, Lost Angels and Melrose Place. And she's beautiful and whatnot. As soon as uh, Fraser sees her, he's all over it. And, you know, she's not necessarily Damon's uh, girlfriend, but he obviously is super into her. And uh, she's just all about Fraser, too. So it's not just that they're like... It, it's still something about it is out of line. I felt uh, it doesn't excuse any of the horrible anti-Semitism in the latter half of this movie, but uh, I felt it was a little out of line to take Matt's girl like that. You know, (laughs) well, the weird thing about this movie is it is maybe an hour 45 hour 50. It takes 70 minutes before even the big prejudice and the big speechifying, all the stuff you, I thought this was going to be, 
Fraser getting ha- you know hazed and and hate crime the whole movie. It takes like seventy minutes of gags and stunts and getting to know the guys and a lot of a lot of uh, shower scenes where somebody behind the scenes on this movie was really. Uh, I can imagine there was probably some old dude who somewhere in the production this was very excited to get these guys consistently. I thought this was like a kind of family friendly movie, but there's a fair bit of nudity in it, which was surprising. And I was like, Matt Damon was like, what, 20 in this or something like, how does he tell his mom? Hey, I finally got a movie, but I'm showing my butt. My mom would have driven out to California with the laws rocket from the enforcer. She would have, she would have blown up the Hollywood sign, put me in a seminary, even though I was 20 some years old, she would have shut down Hollywood on morals charges. Like, you can't, how are you doing that? How do you ever talk to your mom again if you've done nudity? How do you do that? How do you, that? My big thing in life is, don't you people have parents? Like, like Carrie White's mom and Carrie, you know? But somehow these guys are, they're showering a lot in this movie, is all I'm going to say. I don't know. This is pre-Brian Singer uh, production before he was anybody, but somebody along those lines probably has a stroke reel of this. But uh, both guys are... The main two guys, would I would say, would be Fraser and uh, Matt Damon. They're both very good in it. The movie sort of ends up becoming a battle of the wills between the two of them. As Damon, you know, is this privileged asshole. He cheats on their finals, and it it would it will bring shame upon the school unless they announce who the who the uh, the cheater was. And everyone wants to pin it on Brendan Fraser because he's different and he's lied to them about being Jewish. And then, sort of in the end, the guys kind of rise to the occasion and exonerate him. And Damon, you know, he's Damon's still like you know. He gets kicked out of school, but he's like, you know, I'm still rich. I'll still go to Harvard and you'll still be a you'll still be Jewish. And then Frazier calls him a prick and they both go off into the sunset. And there's your movie. And here um, both guys were very accomplished. We later think of Fra- Brendan Fraser as like a goofball and all these, uh, you know, mummy. But George of the Jungle and Monkey Bone kind of stupid movies. <laughs> but he's, his dramatic performance was excellent here. But especially impressive was Damon. And it, in a way that sort of made me mad. Like, I, I was just so jealous about it that he was in the studio movie. You know, Affleck's in it, too, who's a little bit more of a hero. to Like, I love Ben Affleck and everything he represents. is kind of like a big, you know, taught, you know motor mouth and kind of a, a booze hound and a ladies man and dating all these prominent women and stuff. He was the kind of guy I thought I was going to be. I don't know why I thought that. I don't know why I was so delusional. Like in Pittsburgh, in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, I couldn't even get a date and women thought I was a nerd. Somehow I thought by just going to Los Angeles, I would magically, they would see me and be like, oh, he'd be perfect for these, you know, kind of good, you know, blandly okay looking white guy roles. My big thing was like, I knew I could couldn't be Tom Cruise, but I was like, I'm going to be Kyle McLaughlin. I'll be the new Kyle McLaughlin when I get out there. Val Kilmer. Never mind those guys have tons of charisma and real acting training. I had none of that. And I'd never even done like a high school play. I'd never like hit the boards like, oh, dad, come on down. See me in Guys and Dolls. Like it wasn't both was my family, the school, my community, the it being like a number one football school in the country. I don't think doing like doing doing theater and with the drama club was going to go over very well. And even in college, you know, 
I just was never that interested in theater acting. I thought my thing would be like, I could do stand up and it'll get me little parts. And then I'll be, you know, the funny guy who they'll put in movies and little smart out. And in none of it, none of it ever happened. But I see these guys and I'm like, God, that was 30 years ago. And I think of how delusional I am, how delusional people in Los Angeles are that like, I'm on the cusp of 50 almost. Uh, and I'm still sitting there going, you know, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll be in a movie with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Maybe we'll be buddies. It's like, no, they've had a 30 year head start. A 30, you know, while I was at Pitt taking a philosophy class where I was falling asleep just to, you know, please my parents, you know, going to four extra years of basically high school as a commute. You know, if you commute, you're miserable. You're on the bus. You're taking, you're fighting for parking spots. You have to leave at five, six o'clock at night while all the bonds and all the fraternity of college, you know, literally and figuratively, they're all happening, you know, when you're involved in the campus and involved in school and clubs and uh, parties and organizations. And if you commute, you do none of that. So it's a total, I don't want to bring it down if anyone's happened. I doubt I have anyone young enough to listen to this, but if you're a commuter, it just sucks. And being a commuter ruined not only those years of my life, but like I'm still feeling the aftershocks because God knows I'm not good looking enough to have been, you know, I wasn't going to fit in in the shower there with Matt and Ben. <laughs> like I've never even lifted a weight, but I I thought I could do something as the I could be the Joe, uh, you know, uh, who's that guy from Armageddon with the you can see his hair through the scalp, the big fat guy who was on remember Herman's Head. There was a show called Herman's Head with William Ragsdale. There's a there's an epic timely poll. William Ragsdale was the kid from Friday Night and they had a show called Herman's Head where the various personalities and, and you know his darkest it would be like the old angel on one shoulder demon on the other like you would see his thoughts and and his id was represented by this big fat guy who was the fat guy from armageddon and he has a kind of hair loss i have where it's like diffuse like it's like it, it, it has a hairline but when they would shine the light over it it was scalp ahoy in armageddon i wish i could look that guy's name up <laughs> like in the commercial for herman's head he'd be like the sensitive side of herman and then the fat guy would come out and go fun food babes Remember that? It was this commercial. It was in the, you could not avoid it. It was like fun, food, babes. It was that guy. It was up there with the give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball commercial for uh, Nike in that era. Uh, I don't know where it's going with that. Oh, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I thought I could at least be the zany guy. I was going to say Joe Rubbo was the other one, but I think I've made that reference. The fat kid from Last American Virgin. Uh, like, I could just be like the wacky guy on the side or the buddy I don't know, you know, even Kyle McLaughlin was my my ideal, but I don't think that was going to happen. But I was, it, you know, just stewing, wasting away for four years. And then when I got here, it was like, and the ship has sailed. But that's we don't need to go down self-pity lane and whatnot. But uh, I tried everything, too. Like, uh, you know, I tried doing stand up. I tried tried writing, which I was horrible at. And this is where I was going with today. Yeah, some dude. I don't know how you, that's my segue from school ties into the next thing. One of my buddies on film Twitter, he's kind of stepped in it today, made a funny joke. And this, this is a guy who's very self-serious. He does Ted talks about screenwriting and breaking into the industry. And he has no sense of humor, but he's one of these like kind of aspirational dudes. Who's all about like uh, positivity and willing your way into the business. And, and you know, he runs kind of a, uh, well, I'm not going to say who he is, but he's sort of, there's sort of a racket where you can get your screenplays read on all that shit where you can get a screenplay read online. I don't know how any of that works. I don't know how to write a screen. I've tried a few times. They were awful. I was going to say when I tried to move out here, it was that era of Tar just after Tarantino. And of course, like Billy Bob and John Favreau were writing, um, famously writing their own things that were getting them bigger roles and getting them the mainstream movies and the Miramax deals and whatnot. 
and I said, you know, I, tr- I tried that. I had these bad crime screenplays. And my big get was my dad knew enough people to get me to this guy who was like an assistant of the assistant to the director, Bob Clark. You know, Bob Clark from Porky's and Baby's Day Out and Black Christmas and Tribute. Anyway, uh, from the hip. Anyway, I had a meeting. I had a sit down with this guy. And I were, it was before, right before, it was one of the times I was back in. It was before I left for California because it was because he was doing something on Sudden Death, a movie I was an extra in, the Van Damme movie, which I'm you can't see me in the movie at all. But I was down there doing crowds, you know, with three years earlier, Ben Affleck shooting a Paramount movie. But here I am, like I'm all knocked out, like this is going to be my, this is going to be one of my earliest credits. I thought like they'd have me on Entertainment Tonight in five years, like see if you can spot him in Sudden Death. Like I'm in a bunch of crowd scenes. I play a SWAT guy in one part. And you can't see my face in that part, so it's not worth tracking down. But uh, I felt like I'd hit the big time just doing that. And I was in Kingpin and, and uh, as one of the extras in the beginning. But I was doing these awful scripts, and this was right before I came out. It was right when Sudden Death was about to drop. It was coming out, I think, in December, maybe Christmas of that year. And right before it did, I met with the guy who kind of worked on it. And he's Bob Clark's buddy. And I was like, maybe you can talk to this guy. Maybe I'll, Maybe he can put me in touch with Bob Clark with my genius scripts. And my scripts were all these awful. There were two Tarantino ripoffs. And one horrible Kevin Kevin Smith ripoff, but the, that was supposed to be the funny one. It was the funny one because it was called Produce Man, because it was just like Clerks, you know. Because I at the time was a Produce Man all through most of my college years. I was uh, the green grocer, man. I'd have the green jacket and I'd hose down the lettuce and I'd unload tra- uh, trucks. And there'd always be like some sleazy truck driver, like you got you got any good looking trim working here? And I'm like, dude, these girls are fifteen. You don't. He's like, well, I lose grass on the. No, no, dude, no, no. There were so many guys like that. You know, they'd have the skull dip in and a pe- a fucking a Swiss Army knife dangling on the belt, and they always smelled like uh, bourbon. And I'd have to, yeah, that was horrible. I'd have to make nothing against truck drivers who are awesome, but it's, it's a noble profession and all that. But like some of these guys who it's like, I'm just a kid still. I was like 20. What was I like 21? And I'd have to, I was going to pit for like English literature. Not that I'm above it. I mean, I'm, I was a working class kid too, but it's just like, I'd have to riff. I'd have to riff. And mostly it was just them talking about meth or talking about what the, what the high school girls were like at the store I was working at and trying to call like, call like hose it down there. Uh, dude, we don't, we don't like a guy would come in with his carrots talking about prison and I was, it was torture. But, uh, so I had like one good sport coat. It was sports coat. It was like a felt navy blue jacket. And I wore it with, I think with jeans to try to do that casual guy look. And I went, so I was trying to look Hollywood, you know? So I went down to meet him and I was like, you want to read my screenplays? He goes, I hope they are nothing like Pulp Fiction. I hate Pulp Fiction. And I was like, uh, well, you know, you might like it. It's kind of funny. And, uh, he was like, it better not be like that Tarantino. He's the worst thing about show business. And I loved him. And so like, we hit it off on the false note and he was blathering on, and this dude's whole thing was just talking about Bob Clark. That's his buddy, Bob Clark. When I worked on From the Hip, we did this. Have you seen From... Yeah, I've seen From the Hip. He's like, when I was on Tribute, and he had all... I had to listen to 30 minutes of this guy talking about the Jack Lemmon movie, Tribute. He's like, but that's Bob Clark's greatest film. If you've seen Tribute, you got to see it. It's his tour de force. That should have catapulted. When we, had, when we had Tribute, we know that Jack was on fire. We knew that Bob was... I'm like... Uh, are we talking about getting me out to LA and get making me a making me a superstar or whatever? And he, you know, it was just to shine me on. I, he was so annoyed with me. And then when I finally got to California, I called the guy. I actually I was, I was in a motel in like uh, West Covina because I as soon as I came anywhere near the city, I was like, I guess I'm here. And I like I I. Pulled 
I pulled into the first motel. I was like, this looks like Los Angeles. And it was really like two hours from the city. And I was a telemarketer and I would have to sell people AT&T and I'd have to go on the a headset and, and I couldn't do it. I was so nervous and scared and because they would pick up and I'd be like, Are you, can I talk to who deals with your long distance phone bill? Are you happy with your service? Click. They'd hang up. They're always or mean or chew me out. I had I was never going to do it. I knew in my heart I would never make one sale at this. So I just started talking into an empty headset and see how long I could get away with that till they fired me. I was just in there. Yeah, yeah. AT&T. Yeah, we're out here in Hollywood. Well, and. And finally, some Russian kids like, you know, dumbass, we're monitoring you. We can listen in on your earpiece. You haven't made a call in two days. And I was like, oops, you got me. And they fired me. Uh, so I called the Bob, the Bob Clark guy. And he's like, what are you doing in California? I told you I have nothing for you. What are you doing here? And he's he chewed me out. He's like, don't ever call me again. All I did was call to follow up. But it was very clear that he had no interest in me appearing uh, and then I would do these bad, like bad open mic. And then by the time you get a job and a girlfriend and a roof over your head and direct deposit, it's all out the window. It's all out the window. But I, because I'm a lunatic, well, I'm doing this podcast because I'm still thinking like, hey, somebody's going to hear this. Maybe they'll give me money to be funny or be entertaining in some way. This, by the way, is not a way for me to shill myself to anybody who's listening. It's just like I never gave up the dream. And there's some guy, one of these... Did I mention this already? There's a guy on film Twitter today. He was very self-serious about one of my pals. He didn't take a joke very well, but he, he does TED Talks about how to sell your script. And I'm like, do you have any sense of humor about it? And I, it just made me think, like, to, to do this, to, to think that you're a good writer. I don't know. Like, acting or comedy to me. It was always like, you could be funny and have a little part in a movie. They always need bit part actors. You could have, there's always a venue for you. And now there's podcasting. When you've failed at everything else, you can get on here and talk about Tom Atkins for six minutes and the sheen of any given Sunday. And someone will listen to it. But, uh... The, the 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 arrogance to me it always seemed to think that you could do a, a screenplay it just seemed insurmountable and like I said I did those that first three or four scripts and I realized I have no interest in this I could not do it I don't think of movies that way I talk about the the visuals and the sheen and my screenplays were always like use a use a gel lens on this and this should be shot two three five and make sure there's grain and it looks like Sugarland Express it's like shit that they don't want in a screenplay and I was horrible at dialogue I was just you know I was just stalling to get it to like 90 pages of nonsense I would try to use like extra big spacing between the lines and stuff to get it to 90 and there was no substance there i just had no no ability to do it um i don't know how what that has to do with the guy today oh it's just the people i watched this guy's ted talk and there's people they're like the jordan belfort audience they're out there you'll listen to him his pearls of wisdom about how to get your script read get it on these sites where people will maybe see it and you pay this and, that. and i'm like uh, when do you ever give up? It's like, when do you, why don't I give up? Why am I still doing this? Why is it 30 years later? And I'm fuming that I wasn't Ben Affleck in 1991. And what is it in my, in me that I can't just be happy with myself. And uh, I basically said the same spiel about the Mark Wahlberg show. This group of guys from that range, like, I don't know. There's a mentally ill part of my brain that thinks I should have been there. It should be, there should be a picture, you know, that picture in wonder woman of her old crew with like the, you know, whoever was in the posse that helped her do whatever with that. Uh, I was going to say that actor from three Kings who plays the middle Eastern guy in three Kings, whatever that crew was. I want a picture of me in the middle. Like I'm Jack Torrance. This is 1996. And I got an arm around Matt and Ben and like Vince Vaughn's there and McConaughey's there and Chris O'Donnell's there. And like all of our plats, 
hats off to the side, having a guzzler of rum or something. And I like, I'm in the gang. I was like, I always want to be part of the gang, but I thought, I thought I was going to be an actor. I would, I would imagine that what, who my celebrity girlfriends were going to be and stuff like this. And I have that same, like, why am I still thinking about Margot Robbie or Elle Fanning or, uh, Saoirse Ronan or whoever in sort of terms like about how cute they are and how I would like to date them and so it's like you're old man you're old I'm I'm old why why can I never get it in my head like I still think I'm going to be Mark Wahlberg someday and yet it makes me so mad when I see it in people with the screenwriting like there's no other job you wouldn't be like <laughs> you wouldn't be like man i'm i'm still going to be in the uh i'm still going to play mlb i'm going to play for the uh i'm going to be a pitcher for the uh i don't know the houston astros and you're 45 you'd know that it's over you wouldn't still be like yeah i'm going <laughs> to be shortstop for the padres one of these days you know that there's a finite amount of time to do this to uh you wouldn't I don't know what's another. Generally, you wouldn't start anything at 45. It's kind of over in a long downhill slog from here. You wouldn't say like, oh, can't we start my new metal band with other 47 year old guys? Anybody who's been doing metal has been doing it for, since 1981. It's a little late. Sometimes you're just late to the party. And what is that advice they always give you? Like life is what happens along the way. And it's the old fucking beautiful mind thing where everyone comes up and gives him a pencil or uh the mr holland's opus where they play his whack-ass symphony that's fucking horrible by the way and you're like man <laughs> maybe the teaching was the right move there because that symphony is bad dude but mr holland's always gets to me for sort of a cornball movie like even when I was 23, somehow, like, I always knew I was going to be Al Bundy or I was going to be Mr. Holland. Like, I would be all stifled dreams and living in the past and unfulfilled ambitions. And, you know, I thought somewhere along the way, something, but no, nothing. You end up Mr. Holland and you think back on your life and it was just that. And what's mine is going to be like, I'm, you know, this old and I'm like, well... I, I I closed caption the TV show hype in the year 2000. I was I was talking about that a few weeks ago for God knows what reason. I'm like, this is how I remember things. Like, oh, hey, I remember what office I worked in. We did post production on Peter Berg's Wonderland. Or I remember the latter season. There was a show called The Beast with Elizabeth Mitchell and Jason Gedrick, and it was supposed to be one of these hot shit shows that was going to be uh, like an incendiary and like the water cooler kind of thing. And it aired like two episodes, and they're like, nope, this is terrible and i because they still wanted the order fulfilled in case they could ever resurrect it i had to sit there and like slave over every episode of the beast so i'm still waiting for my my validation 21 years later someone's gonna be like you know that beast was a real underrated gem and like even the people who made it probably don't remember it and all my life is just these memories of celebrities and actors and me like this is my imaginary world where i had anything to do with any of that I know sometimes I have dreams and this is so embarrassing. I don't know if I've talked about this. I, I really do have dreams where either Metallica knows me from the old days. They're like, oh, he's in town. He's in town. Maybe come jam with us. We'll hang out. Maybe come on stage and do knock out a little nothing else matters with us. You know, like they know me or like Axl Rose knows me from 1991. And I have a lot of these about Cruz where like, you know, Cruz is like, ah, oh, he's, he's a good guy. He's a good, solid dude. And he brings me around. And it's like, we talk about the old days. It's like, there were no old days. You never met Tom Cruise. You never met Axl Rose. It's just so weird that like these pop cultural things and these people 
uh, for someone like me who kind of has no life but wanted this and was always on the outside looking in with my face pressed up to the glass and I will endlessly mock everybody who's still delirious delusional enough to still think they're going to sell their idiotic screenplay that they probably have one screenplay that they've done 57 passes and drafts and showed it to all their friends and, and it's like it's at what point do you just give up you got to give up well I got to give up I got to find something for, I might live at my age 30 more years. Who knows? And am I going to be 70 and still cursing out the world that I didn't get to be Matt Damon? I probably will be. I will be. I will. I know I will. Because it's, the song remains the same. For anyone who's followed my nonsense for 5, 10, 15 years, some people even, God, I was on DVD message boards. I talked to people from 2001. They can attest this is the same material. It has the names change because I do the Wooderson where like it might have been Angelina Jolie or it might have been Kira Knightley or it might have been Paris Hilton or Jessica Alba that I was fixated on in 2004 or something. And it just updates. It's just who Haley Steinfeld and Elle Fanning or whoever. I think I finally slowed down on that. I don't think there's anyone newer than them. I read like <laughs> a little bit of self-awareness has kicked in that I'm the creepy old man creepy old man you know thinking about why i wasn't in school t- why wasn't i in school days i don't know dude maybe because you were in a uh, <laughs> in an astronomy course at Pitt for an easy uh what do you call that a requi- what it a requisite what is that thing some something ah, i forget god that, that there you go that's what i learned at college I, basic vocabulary i don't remember i can tell you like l fanning's filmography i could do like a i will i'll do a lightning round I'm like and then when she did the young ones it was this but when she did uh ginger and rosa and i remember all those and i can't remember what was a prerequisite is that what it was a credential i don't know so, <laughs> i think i'm losing my mind on this one uh, I was supposed to talk about Escape from L.A. I was supposed to talk about John Carpenter. I was supposed to talk about a lot of things. I've been promising you a, promising you a Dirty Harry one. I wish I could talk about the ground round. It's a way of saying goodbye. I just want to ask if anyone remembers the ground round. It was a restaurant if you were in the 80s, if you were in the northern east coast. Do you remember the ground round? It was one of those restaurants they would take kids, but it was terrifying. Like It's the scariest restaurant. They did a makeover and it became more corporate and Applebee's-like at a certain point. If it's around still, it shouldn't be. Like I have a, a genuine sympathy for most restaurants and sentimentality for places where I grew up and things I went to when I was a kid. This is one, no, it needed to be burned from the earth it was like more satanic than a rob zombie movie it was the restaurant equivalent of a rob zombie he probably would go there but up in maine when i was a kid uh we were playing t-ball like eight nine years old so this would have been like 81 82 uh we were too old to still be hitting off a tee but maine wasn't exactly a sports hot spot if you know what i mean like we'd be playing our bell-bottom jeans knocking and i'd I'd strike out a t-ball but one time i i beamed it out to right field and my coach had like a he had a 77 old Collis and it came down on his window and I remember him wincing like artillery fire like he had just he was so proud of this car he would wax it all the time and I fucking broke his window or something or cracked it <laughs> but that was my my glory day I think I was traded off that team one time I took a whiz in my pants because I was so scared of this coach I didn't want to I didn't want to ask to go down into the woods to take a take a whiz during the game and I, I, on the sly, I think I kind of peed my pants, uh, which is very disgusting and embarrassing. But we would go after uh, after tee ball, after a, a hearty game of, of swinging at a, a, a tee. <laughs> and on a good day, it was 
ice cream. We'd go get ice cream. We'd be like, oh, we got a Friendly's or the Brazier or something. And especially perfect for kids who just came out of a game. You'd want to get the Sunday in the baseball helmet. And you'd want to, oh, I got a Twins. I got a Braves. I got a Pirates. I love, you know, collect them all, you know. And everyone loves ice cream. Everyone for kids. But some days, maybe if there were a bigger game or if it was somebody's birthday or we'd had a doubleheader. Oh, the kids worked up an appetite at the doubleheader. Let's take them to the ground round. And the ground round sucks. I hate saying any restaurant sucks. The ground round is the worst restaurant. It is hell. It was like going in a portal to a Terry Gilliam experience. Like as menacing as like Chuck E. Cheese was, uh, at least he had like, what was it? Like stuffed elephants singing a banjo. That's something. The ground round had a vaudeville theme. Perfect for your nine-year-old, I guess. Hey, you just had a nice doubleheader. Let's go watch some, let's go enjoy some vaudeville. You'd go in, they'd be playing like menacing, like horribly distorted ragtime music. And on the screen, they had projected all over the room and various, you know, all throughout the dining area, there were film uh, uh, screens and they were playing like raggedy, scratched up old films of like, uh, you know, Laurel and Hardy and the Keystone Cops and Groucho Marx. And it really was. It was like going inside a Rob Zombie movie. It looked like a Rob Zombie. It was all underlit and the food was disgusting. There was shit all over the floor. And they encouraged the kids to have food fights, I think. So you'd be slipping. You're walking on peanut shells. You're walking on popcorn. They were throwing shit at your face. The way the wait staff was very assaultive, which is such a bad idea. Like, I think now about how they have kids who have sensitivity to... Uh, sensory issues and things like that. Like they have special movie screenings. If your kid has sensory issues, this was like a full on, you were inside the Fisher King, like I said, for like te- for two hours. Um, and then they bring out as if it weren't already you had gross food and like your burger was wrapped in a newspaper and the news you'd open it up and the newspaper would be a scary picture of like Harpo Marx or some like old timey pervert cartoon. <laughs> and it was all greasy and the dads were drinking like these big guzzling pitchers of beer and shit while the kids were grossing out over <laughs> these nasty ass wings and popcorn upon popcorn and they would throw it at it was the big thing was they bring the the Tommy Chong bucket and they'd come and dump popcorn over your head and then when you couldn't get more unpleasant they'd bring out a goddamn clown they had a fucking 70s clown who was like the clown from the the pervert clown from the groove tube he'd come and he'd get in your face and he'd smell like booze or some shit and he'd be like hey kids how are you enjoying the wings did you have a nice day did you hit the ball off the tee how are the balls today kids and you were like get this get this fucking clown away from me what are we doing this the food was horrible you had to sit through a clown you had to watch laurel and fucking hardy you're eight years old you want to talk about sports and the game and shit you couldn't even hear yourself think when you got this menacing asshole in your face it was disgusting I the ground round burn it burn it to the ground the ground round it was the nastiest restaurant someone tried to explain to me that on the west coast they had Farrell's ice cream which maybe wasn't as creepy I don't know anything about it but hearing about it just made me laugh because I was like that sounds like the ground round because apparently they had a very assaultive and aggressive staff that would come out and kind of make fun of the kids and put you on the spot and they would bring out the shit called a pig trough or the pig's trough and it was like 80 pounds of ice cream and they'd shove your face in it like back off from the kids man this is a horrible concept and one that 
thankfully uh, has apparently gone the way of the wind because, like I said, they kind of turned the round into, into like a, an Applebee's uh, generic uh, chain kind of place at some point. It, it's not even enough. That place needed a fucking exorcism. It was the, the single worst restaurant in the history of humanity. Uh, I'm glad I survived the ground round uh, just so I could. I'm glad I survived this podcast because I had nothing to talk about. But if you like Halloween 3, school days, me whining about myself and horrible uh, New England chain restaurants of the early 80s. I think I got a little something for everybody in there. So hopefully uh, you had a fun time with that one. I don't know. It was a little bit of a, let's call that a bit of a potpourri episode. And as I've promised before, I've got things. I wanted to talk about John Carpenter and all this stuff. And uh, uh, it's just not cutting together. Sometimes sometimes the magic happens and sometimes it's, it's uh, you got to grease the wheel a little bit. But uh, it was fun uh, checking in. Hope you enjoyed any of this. Maybe there were some laughs along the way. And you guys... Hey, have a nice day. You know, hey, how's it going? Have a nice day. All right, little Atkins. Do that. Do that with somebody. Give them a little Atkins. Somebody you don't need to. You go to Popeye's to get some chicken. Just give them a little, hey, how's your day going? How, how are you? Everyone loves it. All right, bye.